Unfiltered by Jade. Jade. Welcome to the Unfiltered by Jade, where we get out of the box and dive into topics that are sidelined. I look forward to entertain, educate, and inspire. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, donate, and make everybody know about it. Beats by RB Records. Shopping assistance, your style, your budget. Our services include online and local shopping for individuals and businesses, personal shopping, purchasing of company and office supplies, importing and exporting small packages across Jamaica and worldwide, and helping you find unique gifts and items for all events and occasions. Contact us at 876-919-5195 or shoppingassistance2015 at gmail.com. Shopping Assistance, your style, your budget. Welcome back to the Unfiltered by Jade. Today we have with us here, Melanie James. And she is here to have a discussion with us. And it is a very interesting conversation that we're about to have. Um, but before we even go into it, I'm going to ask her to introduce herself. So hi, Melanie. Hello, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Melanie James, and I am from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I am a disabilities advocate a caregiver, small business owner, and at most, I am a melanated medical mom. That's so thank right. you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I want you to just tell us your story. Okay. So for me, um, I started uh, essentially uh, in my degree with journalism uh, from Central State University, so represent HBCUs. And um, essentially my degree in journalism has definitely prepared me from a standpoint of understanding and really grasping what's happening in situations. And so um, after I earned my degree in 2012, um, I did get married and have children um, shortly after, you know, fulfilling my career. And the problem that I ran into was healthcare. And so essentially, you know, growing up, um, I did have parents who were blessed enough to have benefits. And so I experienced the good side of healthcare in terms of having, you know, regular dentist appointments and have, you know, regular healthcare checkups and whatnot, and essentially having, you know, a healthy life and whatnot. But when it came to me as a mother, as a wife, the experiences that I had in healthcare didn't necessarily correlate to the ones that I had as a child, but it became more apparent that it started to become a matter of um, equity in it. And yeah. for me, um, as a mom, especially as a minority mom, um, knowing the statistics about our mortality rate for um, our children, you know, being, you know, having high rates and having it get to the point where 
you know, we're leading um, maternal morbidity in Ohio. And that's at 112%. And that's from, you know, the Health Policy Institute of Ohio. And so in the disparities of maternal mortality, we're leading by 29%. And so in understanding that, I then had to experience the pediatric adversities in terms of as it pertains to the children who experience, you know, have disabilities or have different abilities, if you will. And in experiencing the lack of accountability is partially the reason why there are health disparities now. And so for me, I wanted to make it my mission because with the mindset of a journalist, I have to be the voice for the people who, you know, don't have the ability to get on a platform or, you know, build a platform from scratch and have the conversations that a lot of people are having because for the most part, they put out reports that make allegations about the Black community, but what they don't take into consideration and into accountability is the fact that there's nobody being held accountable for the lack of adequate health care that the Black community isn't receiving or is receiving for that matter. And so for me, it's imperative for me that we make sure that we circulate that conversation because for caregivers like myself, nobody's considering them when it comes to, you know, the healthcare disparities because they're still stuck on, you know, the hospitals. They're not thinking about healthcare outside of, you know, the health institutes and the hospitals and whatnot. And so to me, it's my mission to make sure that we don't just make it this a awareness statement, but that we actually drive it past just awareness and a conversation. And we actually make this to a point where people with disabilities, minorities with disabilities can feel not just included, but they can also have a life as well without experiencing so many barriers just to live. So that's just, you know, that's the place where I come from for my platform. Okay. All right. So we had spoken earlier, earlier this year, I'm about even a situation that happened with you that you experienced. I want you to talk a little bit about that. And from that, I want you to tell us how it affected you emotionally, the support you had and how family is important. Okay, so earlier this year, um, about 20 days exactly before um, I was due to graduate from um, my master's program for going to school to be healthcare administration, my son had passed away. And this wasn't something that was anticipated. It really happened out of the blue. He did have healthcare complications, but when it happened, it literally, we, it, it was like a ton of bricks hit us. And in the days of that happening, I just remember just talking to my husband and saying, I don't, I don't know how we got here. It felt like torture because in a background sense, um, in 2019, um, our son had had uh, a cardiac arrest as well. Um, now, t- today we haven't found the complete determination of what caused his passing, but um, in the medical notes that was written, 
they are labeling it as a cardiac arrest. And so from 2019, we had been working to try and um, rehabilitate him health-wide. And, you know, we had just recently did a EEG um, for his brain activity, um, or EKG, I believe, um, for his brain activity. Um, and we were waiting for those results to come back to see if there was any brain activity. And then on April 30th, everything blew up. And it felt like a nuclear bomb hit us emotionally because we lost our child, we lost a member of our family. And the amount of family that supported us is just astronomical family and friends, you know, and associates and, you know, people who were close to the situation, who knew about the situation. And I don't think that we would have been able to get through everything if we didn't have our family helping us and, you know, checking on us. And it, it didn't always have to be a conversation. It didn't mm -hmm. have to be, you know, I'm coming to bring you flowers or what do you need? Sometimes it's just being in our presence. And I think one of the best things is that we were able to do things in a healthy communication in terms of, I would, I recall having a conversation with my husband and I said, I feel like I got hit by a bus and then we're getting phone calls about arrangements, about his body, you know, things like when you're hearing these things, it feels weird because I had literally had a conversation with, you know, some, some people were calling me and praying with me every morning and my anxiety has actually probably worsened since then. Right. And I communicate that with people so that people, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hide it. And, you know, I'm unfiltered, right? <laughs> so I'm unfiltered. And so I'm having these conversations with, you know, people and letting them know, like, you know, I'm up at, I told my sisters that, you know, I have my sisterhood conversation and talking. I've even said I sometimes am up at. 3, 4 a.m. in the morning because how he passed away, it was similar to how it happened in 2019. And as a caregiver, you understand that everything is like you have to remember certain things to prepare you for future situations in case something happens again. And mm -hmm. so in these instances of waking up and then getting to a point where somebody has been deemed to not be in a breathing fashion, that gets to a point where you're waking up and you're checking every, you know, checking pulses, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're running around the house like, okay, did I do everything? Because it's, that's the impact it has. And so I tell them this to let them know, like, you know, if you are up, give me a phone call or, you know, let me know something or, you know, just sit on the phone with me or, you know, you can Google chat or whatever. Or, you know, sometimes my husband, he finds that when I'm some of my anxiety symptoms are I get the cold shiver. And so him having heat like he has to like warm my body up, like 
just kind of rub my arms and put blankets mm-hmm. on me just to help accommodate me and then vice versa too. I think the yeah. the best thing is experiencing that the first time my son had a cardiac arrest, um, the way that I viewed the black male response is it could have used or benefited from some resources and tools and safe spaces. And so that was in 2019. And so Today, in you know, in the year 2022, I'm finding that the response is a lot better in terms of not just you know listening and receiving what you know a female may say or a black woman will say, but actually engaging and saying, "Oh my goodness, like this hurts. Like you can cry, like you can shed these tears." And it's not about masculinity. It's not about, are you strong enough? It's not about you are strong in your tears too, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing them have those emotions and also seeing them support each other. And then seeing us as a community, you know, I view my, my family as a community too, but the people who are friends to the family, you know, that's the community part as well. And the people who worked with us here, you know, coming to the funeral or, you know, asking, stopping by, you know, having, you know, people who uh, work with my um, other son, you know, having their staff write cards and stuff, you know, send their condolences, you know, a lot of people don't have to do, you know, the things that they do to, you know, say, you know, my condolences, but, you know, those sending those things to me, that is what helps get people like me out of bed yeah it sounds so cliche but those are the things that you know help us you know pull the covers back because in many instances half of me is like i gotta get up i still have marlon i'm still blessed and then another half of me is my baby's not here Uh and that's the reality of it it's not going to change it's not going to, you know, somehow turn into a million dollars and make me feel better. It's like there's no remedy for that. And I think one of the best ways to help me heal from it, aside from meditation and having a counselor and having a life coach and, you know, having those spiritual advisors and those wise people to look up to is also by um exercising and going out on those walks so those things definitely help because it's easy to stay in bed but it's harder to get out of bed and on those days where it's harder that's those are the days that you know help you push you know towards getting out of the bed and being a better you and striving to not, you know, kind of fall into those depressive states. So, you know, exercising definitely help and having family members exercising with you definitely helps. So I think that, you know, family, having mental health resources and exercising are definitely the main cores of how it helped me through those, you know, through what I was going through this year. 
or even what you're still going through. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very much um, so. Um, for, for the healthcare system, what about it needs help? Well, funny you should ask that because the day after um, my son's funeral, I got a phone call and it was a family member's distress because um, my cousin had just had a baby and they weren't releasing her and they kept changing the reasons as to why they weren't releasing her. And so me understanding as a, I'm black, I'm a mom, I'm family, just scratch that. I know what the healthcare system does to in these situations. And so I knew that in that moment, it was up to me to go up there and help. And so the healthcare system biggest flaw is the equality or the quality of healthcare delivery. Mm. Because at the end of the day, the mainstream media will, like I said, publicize and make many reports about what Black people don't do. But what they're missing in that same narrative is what healthcare systems aren't doing and what healthcare providers won't do. And they're also missing what isn't a part of, you know, the economic part of it because we don't have universal health care. So no. with us not having universal health care, we do not have full access to the health care resources that the wealthier counterparts would have. And so I, hearing that, I'm like, I can't sit here and just allow this to happen. And so I go and ask them questions and I asked them, you know, I asked them how comfortable they are with me coming up there, representing them as an advocate. Because, you know, it's either the one family, you know, you can call me, but this means that, you know, I'm they they may say some things about you because in healthcare they'll try and throw you under the bus. Mm-hmm. Because I've experienced that before where they've tried to do what they've done to uh Maisha Taylor, the or Maisha, the American Idol. Um, contestant, um, I believe it was last year where she was having the issues of them taking her kid away, them calling CPS. They called, they threatened to call CPS on me. Mm. And when they threatened to call CPS on me, what they thought was that they could throw that threat at me without me actually responding accordingly. And Mm. so what I ended up doing, and as I said, if we are going to sit up here and throw out hollow threats, then what we're going to do is we're going to call the people so we can get everybody involved. Because I did my homework and I found out that they were accusing me, they were going to call uh, Child Protective Services on me and claim neglect for lack of payment because they claimed that my insurance carrier was no longer issuing payments for my child to be there, which was false. What it was is they had submitted discharge papers to my insurance provider and they had called multiple meetings because they were trying to persuade me to 
transfer my child to a long-term care PD or pediatric long-term care facility mm-hmm. or turn him over custody wise to them, which I wasn't doing either. And so they thought I wasn't going to get those receipts and just take their word for it. And so what ended up happening is I told my um, insurance provider and my insurance provider said, oh, you know what? On this discharge paper, it says that your child is healthy. It says that your child is in good condition. And I said, how is that possible? When in this instance, um, my child had at this moment, he had had a went in a cardiac arrest, had a traumatic brain injury, and his brain has swelled so much to the point that it pushed down on his spinal cord. So if we are charting accurate information, how is that accurate? And so what they thought in that moment is that I wasn't going to get that information. And so because in healthcare, you have to keep writing, you have to keep documentation, you have to keep charting, because at some point in time, if you tell enough lies, the truth will come out. Mm -hmm. And so in that instance, they thought that they had me, but I already had had them because I knew that they counted on me to not do research but I'm not that type of person. And so that's how the tables turned for me in that situation. And the medical director of my insurance carrier actually implemented an emergency plan and had to have a conversation with them. And so that's how we as a people have to handle it is by not by, it's not, you know, they, I know they want us to do the Hollywood version of what they believe we behave as, but we're educated, you know, Uh we're here and we're people, most of all, you know, regardless of education, we're still people. And in that instance, I know that using my education, using that journalistic instinct, not trusting, you know, what they're going to tell me because they're already telling lies. I know that I have to do everything to make sure I cover myself and my child without question. And I know that they don't expect us to know the rules and regulations that they have to be upheld to, which is why they provide us with inaccurate health or inadequate health care. So after doing that or experiencing that, I used that information to help me with a fam- my family member. And as a result, she was released about two hours after I left the hospital. Nice. And they actually found out that the reason that she was being held and the measurement was being changed in terms of when she could be discharged was because a physician or the attending physician for her had experienced their own trauma. And as a result of that, they were retaining the um, patients who were having children as a result of that. And that's where the code of conduct that many people are the code of ethics come in because what had to do with him and his personal life had nothing to do with keeping her there. That's mental and emotional trauma because you are essentially holding people hostage, keeping them, you know, kidnapping them in a sense, if we want to get really technical about it, because there was no reason for them to stay. And so after I had to went through the, uh, man, I went to talk to the nurse, the nurse manager, the charge nurse, 
And then we start asking for um, code of ethics people, the board of directors. Like we start going through people until somebody starts holding them accountable, which is the main agenda for what I want to use my platform for is to hold them accountable because nobody's holding, you know, people, the healthcare providers who are providing inadequate healthcare accountable for the mistreatment that they're doing to minorities on a regular basis. Like they keep coming out with these numbers talking about the morbidities and the mortality rates that we're experiencing maternally and, and our infants and newborns are experiencing, but who's holding these people accountable? True. Very, very true. Um, for the healthcare system, again, how much influence does lawsuits have on the healthcare system? Everything. So I can tell you from a patient, from a caregiver, from everybody who's not a healthcare provider, perspective that it's everything because one of the main things that you find that happens all too often is that they're ready to make like they have papers ready for you to sign and now because of technology it's like okay we'll send it to you in an email just sign it and then you can take a picture and send it like they are that adamant about making sure you release them of certain liabilities that they may or may not you know incurred during the practice of the procedure or services performed. And so, I mean, in in, in history of it, um, I would say one of the main things is like, you know, the, the cases, the, some of the cases that come to mind is for my region, um, it's Tomsic versus Ohio Department of Rehab and Corrections. And basically the case was about, um, a inmate who had experienced some health deform, or she, I believe she had a, a lump in her breast or a benign, and she experiencing that was trying to be treated properly, but wasn't properly diagnosed or treated and or multiple uh, things of that nature. And as a result of that, she ended up, once she got proper treatment, uh, had to get a mastectomy as a result oh. of that. And and understand that she sued the corrections department because even though she may be where she is, it did not, that doesn't negate the duties that healthcare providers have to patients. You're not here for good people. You're not here for bad. You're here for people, period. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one thing that so many people experience is that it's not good, but what some people, what some of these institutions and policies are in places have is, you know, where there's just more so of a mediation, you know, a, a family relations person sometimes, or, you know, mediator. And to me, it's just a polished apology. And then it's kind of like, well, we talked to them about it. And then, you know, they said they didn't mean it. And, that's not good enough because people are dying. People are getting, their health is getting compromised. And I mean, even in the, the there's the case Perkins versus um, uh, Lavin or Laban. And essentially it was about a Jehovah witness who she wanted, she would, 
she they don't in that religion they do not do blood transfusions they do not accept accept that and so she requested that but after having um another medical episode they then asked her husband although she had already made it blatantly clear they asked him because another medical incident had happened and so in their mind that absolved the first one or the initiation of her declining that and so that's what prompted them to go to the husband for after the second medical incident happened with her and he signed off that she should get a blood transfusion instead of dying but he wasn't a jehovah's witness and so Mm -hmm. she essentially sued the uh physician in the hospital for doing that and she won because Mm -hmm. what they like to do in many cases not saying who was wrong or right but in many cases they like to find these loopholes that they can go around to justify the wrongs that they're doing it's like we don't need your personal hate or your personal you know bias to dictate what happens in this situation you in some instances they like to play god and they aren't and so the law is uh, essentially it's the most important thing because in some instances it can be taken away their practices their licenses you know they can have it taken away but you also have to look at who's in these courtrooms you know with the gavel because these are the same buddies that they're, you know, they're at the on the yacht with. These are the same buddies they're, you know, hitting a couple golf uh, strokes with. You know, these are the same people who they are essentially congregating around. And so law has everything to do with it. That's why it's still, you know, even now, make sure you vote. Like, look into these things. Like, look into the laws that are happening in your, you know, your areas and whatnot and i try to do you know the same thing and keep myself up to date because there's so much going on and happening that it's hard to you know come or you know to separate and compare you know what's fair what's not fair and the law is meant to be argued but at the end of the day you have a right to humanity and that's what people, healthcare providers signed up for, for to offer a better humanity life for these people by providing these healthcare services, by helping them, by, you know, getting them to a point where they're okay. And that's why law is definitely, you know, essentially the everything of healthcare for the most part. Hmm. I agree with you. Um, for your advocacy that you do for children and disabilities, Tell us about your company and how it intertwines with that. What exactly it is that you do? Okay, so for me, what I like to do is use my experiences as a melanated medical mom because the whole reason I went back to school was seeing the amount of disparities and the lack of activity or action taken on behalf of those who have special needs who are minorities. And so what we do is not only do we share experiences, but we collaborate and, you know, we talk and use platforms to make sure that we are not just perpetuating awareness, but we're now putting ourselves in positions where they're starting to be boards formed. 
I've been on multiple panels and discussions and I know in many people's minds, they're tired of talking to their blue because not many people are listening. But what I'm doing for myself is I'm talking to the people who actually have to go back in, make these changes. And so I've been talking with the American Academy of Pediatrics, different representatives from in there. And I've actually written an article um, in collaboration with some of their pediatricians to help emphasize the lack of quality um, that minorities are experiencing. And then what we also have been doing is we've been doing different panel discussions so that what we can do is formulate these web series and educate a lot of these healthcare providers who some may not even know that they may be practicing with prejudicial you know, biases. And so having these panel discussions and then having these seminars and webinars and giving these teachings and showing these people the difference in what health equity really is for Black people as opposed to what's been given to Black people. These are the things and activities that I'm a part of, that I'm doing, and I'm making sure that everybody has a a clear understanding that this is a community effort. So we are definitely, you know, behind the scenes, um, talking with, you know, different institutions and um, different academies and um, organizations to make sure that now we are trying to perpetuate accountability in the healthcare industry as opposed to just ask for it because asking is no longer. We're telling them you all will be accountable for your actions, period. And so Melanie Jane Company, we've been, you know, definitely been working in collaborations with um, Their Voice of Greater Cincinnati. Um, We've been working with American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, We've been doing some collaborations with um, smaller organizations um, that are connected with Cincinnati Children's. Um, And so there are different companies and organizations that we are working with to definitely perpetuate an accountability culture in healthcare. Very nice. Yes, you guys are doing such a great job on it because normally people don't want to say anything. Sometimes they don't want to talk anything, especially about the healthcare facility, because sometimes they believe it won't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you said earlier, we need to educate ourselves on it so that nobody will blindside us. Right. or do things so that we will suffer um, from the outcome of whatever they do without caring about us and what we deserve the best for ourselves. So we need to educate ourselves and we need to also take a stand for ourselves and talk up. We have to be our own advocates in right. terms of our health for ourselves, our family members. We have to do that. Right. I think the hardest part for caregivers is receiving essential direction because sometimes being a caregiver is something that kind of snowballs in a way where in some cases we see some family members who may experience a medical episode or a health episode that may set them back. But then because there's no long-term, short-term, you know, surrounding care, it's kind of like, okay, well, I've been helping you this far, you know, I'm going to keep helping you. And then 
who know, you know, how one to know, you know, what direction to go to. So, you know, one of the things that we are working on definitely doing is trying to develop ways to definitely help have organization and, and provide tools to help caregivers because again, caregivers are people who have not gone to school for 12 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Are essentially the unfiltered ones, you know, they're the ones who are working without the policy and procedure regulations on account of like, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to a medical board, but in their heart, like their heart, it's, it's on their heart. Like being a caregiver is something that you're doing out of your heart and mm-hmm. out of love. It's, it's just something that not so many people are aware of, but, you know, again, they too have to be the advocates as well. And I think the the biggest issues is the dialogue because one of the worst compliments I've received as a melanated medical mom is you are so articulate. What does yeah. that mean? You know, yeah, because because it's, we, not, it's not something that they expect from us black people though. Exactly. That lets me know that you've dealt with many people who look like me, who you believe aren't articulate. So what compliments do you give them? The the truth, though, you know, the truth, though, Melanie, is that sometimes ourselves, Black people, are to be blamed for it. Because as a Black person myself, I know Black people don't like to read. Mm. Not a lot of Black persons like to read. Not a lot of Black persons like to advocate for themselves. Um, they will make noise, but in terms of advocating, they probably won't. A lot of black persons also um, don't educate themselves in certain aspects, so they don't know certain things. So that's why people will look on black people that way. So sometimes it's our fault for how we portray ourselves to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And in some instances, I would say this. I think that the breakdown really comes from the barrier, because what they like to use a lot of times is what I call medical jargon. And they'll like to, sometimes they'll even get in instances where they'll throw these things out. And I'll give you an example. Um, when the instance of them trying to call CPS on me happened and I called them back, I said, so how is it that y'all are trying to kick my child out of the hospital all the while? And y'all you know, he's brain dead according, you know, to y'all. And they're like, no, he's not brain dead. And I'm like, this is the narrative that has been said since you all had a conference with myself, my husband, my sister, and my other child was there. And y'all said, he is not coming back. And the term brain dead became apparent. And so they tried to switch or rule it and try and say, no, we didn't say that. It's an anoxic brain injury or a traumatic brain injury, TBI, um, but anoxic brain injury and other medical terms. And so um, when I called them back, I said, well, if that's the case, then we had gotten to a later point where they were trying to force me to put Nazir into a, um, in school. And uh-uh. so I'm like, so you want me to take a child who is in a coma, essentially, or in a comatose state, you want me to take them in a corona or a COVID-19 world now where schools are one of the highest populations for spikes to happen. You want me to take them into school. And so they're like, yeah, it, with a straight face. And so, and them saying that I'm like, well, I want the, 
I want to receive the um, the medical uh, clearance for him not to go. And they didn't want to do it. So I they tried to use the nurse, one of the other neurosurgeons tried to say, well, he's like, well, well, what is it that you need? I said, well, you will write me a letter stating the injury that he has. And you can do an ICD-10, which is um, basically a, it's medical, a term for medical billing coding. Um, it's a, I believe this is a generalization of it, but, um, or the category. And essentially, and him saying that he went from saying ICD-10 to, oh, do you want an ICD-9? And do you want, and he tried to use the medical jargon. And so in him using that, he wasn't interested in having a conversation or providing me with what I wanted to do. He nope. was interested in throwing those terminologies to try and throw me off. So he thought that he could write a little simple letter that said, I'm the neurosurgeon. And he thought that that's where the buck stops. No, now I have to go around you, but I will. I'll go around you. Make no mistake, you're replaceable neurosurgeon. There are many more to come and are that exist. So I went around him and I had to go to another person in order to get that. But in a day and age where sometimes people are working 12 hour shifts, um, who has the energy to have to keep like that shouldn't be the case for parents. Like it should never be a case for that. And I think that where the it's harder to get through because instead of him trying to say, okay, so this is what an ICD-10 is. This is what an ICD-9 is. Is this what you want? What is the accomplishment of what you're trying to get to? They're not trying to work with us. No, no, they're not. Just they're trying to work against us and flex the stripes of their um, license. But that's not how this is going to keep working because at the end of the day, you can't keep putting out, you know, these reports and saying, well, black people aren't doing X, Y, and Z. And then you're not holding the people who are holding back the black people who are trying to get the treatment and the necessity. You, you're, you're not doing anything to them. No, that this is why the problem is happening. And now if you put accountability happen, what is going to happen is the systemic racism that has been perpetuated since the start of the country is going to be something that is, uh, is going to, change everything that they initially wanted to found healthcare off of because they don't want to give the credit to the many black pioneers of the healthcare industry who have made it what it is today and all the while it's just like y'all are perpetuating it because y'all were worried about credits and y'all worried y'all not worried about lives y'all worried about the wrong thing and that's why it a constant carousel of who did it oh this happened but they're not trying like no this is a, a ridiculous circle of cat and mouse and, and and nobody's getting anywhere because nobody's accountable yeah that's something that we really need um to be changing the in this healthcare system trust me yes it's not, good <laughs> at all. It's not to be honest it's, it's not good um and more people just need to advocate for themselves. Ask more questions. Don't just take things that is being said. Ask questions. Um, and if you don't feel like you're getting the best help, find somebody else um, to do that with. I mean, sometimes it's easier said than done, but we have to do what we have to do um, for ourselves and our family. Um, so, Melanie, where is it that we can find you? 
Okay, so you can find me. I have my own website. So you can find me at www.simplym as in Mary, J as in job, C as in cat.com. Um, you can also catch me on the website of American Academy of Pediatrics because I will be featured on a blog or a article called Health Equity that I myself contributed to. And nice. then um, there are some behind the scene projects um, uh, in terms of some webinars. Uh, not enough information to give out, but some webinars also part of the American Academy of Pediatrics and their website is a as in Apple, A as in Apple, P as in pediatrics.org. And so you can catch me on that website. And then also I have been working with, and I, I must definitely give this um, CEO a very, very big shout out, love, and definitely all the homage I can. Um, Tammy Floyd Westmoreland. Um, she is the founder of Their Voices of Greater Cincinnati, and I, I must shout her out on a, a personal and business level because we've been collaborating, but when Nazir had passed away this past April, I tell you, somebody who came to the hospital with me and cried while I was in front of my child's body mm. and just losing my mind and probably feeling crazy um, is the person who like she right there with a tissue and a shoulder and just open arms and hugs, like checking on me, bringing things and just making sure and, you know, letting people know and helping me throughout the entire process. She definitely embodies everything that, you know, I would hope the future, you know, especially for medical, med melanated medical moms, you know, right. it looks like definitely embodies everything of a philanthropist. Um, she's an author. She, um, we've been collaborating and she actually is, um, she too lost her child some time ago, um, Deontay, and um, may rest in peace. She founded a nonprofit organization to help other mothers who um, her child had experienced um, CP. And so that's uh, cerebral palsy. So in that, she founded a nonprofit organization to help the, you know, families who experience, you know, the shortcomings in healthcare for, you know, CP. And she has definitely helped people around the world. And so I've been helping her. And so I've been doing, you know, some writing collaborations with her. And we're also, you know, having, you know, hosting different um, gatherings for, you know, the disabilities family, because, you know, we also want to get out, we know how to have a, a safe and, you know, COVID safe, you know, uh, environment and whatnot. So you can catch me on her um, website and also the events that she has um, at their voices or their voice dot O-R-G. Um, and so that's T-H-E-I-R-V-O-I-C-E dot O-R-G. Nice. nice. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much, Melanie. Um, I appreciate you coming on to share your story and your experience and um, how we can better the healthcare system. 
um, not just for us, but for everybody, especially our melanated people. So that's mm -hmm. important. And we really do. I really do appreciate you. Um, and we're still here praying for you because it's not something easy that you're going through here and your family. Um, mm -hmm. So just continue being strong. You're doing a great job. You're doing thank a great job at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much for offering me a little bit of time on your platform because <laughs> I know I'm talk for days about this, but thank you so much for this opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. No problem, my dear. And thank you guys for listening to The Unfiltered by Jade. We'll be back next week, Tuesday. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh.